Good to see everybody again this week. Um, open up to Second Peter with me. We're going to get back into Second Peter this week. We did a little bit of introduction last week, and I'm going to repeat some of the things that we talked about last week, do just a little bit of review, and then talk about a couple of new things. Second Peter, you can turn right to chapter 1. We've got, um, we've got this week and then two more weeks together. And in that time, we're going to focus on the first 11 verses of Second Peter chapter 1. As I said last week, the letters that Peter writes, First and Second Peter, in my mind are some of the most neglected in the New Testament. You know, Paul kind of takes first priority when it comes to Bible studies. And uh, he's got a good you know, collection of letters where we can get an idea of what's going on in his thought world and where he's coming from. Peter has these two letters. They're, they're relatively short. First Peter has a lot of wild things in it that a lot of people avoid. A lot of controversial things that he says and all. Second Peter, not so much so. But uh, as we said last week, this is um, Peter realizes he's right at the end of his ministry. He knows he's going to be with the Lord soon. He says that at the end of chapter 1. And so, as we looked at last week, this is kind of his last words to these people that he's been ministering with to in some form or another. And, you know, somebody's last words are the most significant thing on his mind. He knows he's about to go. And the idea is, if I could leave you with anything, this is what I want to leave with you. Right? And that's why I think these first 11 verses are so powerful. Because... They sum up, it, it, just in 11 verses, just 11 verses, Peter tells you, if you want to be effective for the kingdom, this is what you need to do. Right? And it's not rocket surgery. It's fairly simple what he's going to say here. Right? But difficult in the implementation of it. Right? So let's read these verses again so we can get them in our mind. First Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. I'm, so, I'm sorry. Yeah, thank you. Getting crazy already. Second Peter, chapter one, verses one through eleven. Second Peter, chapter one, verses one through eleven. He says, uh, Simeon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Now may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Verse 3, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. So, for this very reason, verse 5, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue or excellence. I'd rather translate that. Supplement your faith with excellence and your excellence with knowledge and your knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love or unselfish love we could say there for if these are yours and are increasing they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful 
in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and choosing, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. And in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Both the, the introductions to both 2 Peter here and 1 Peter are fantastic. If you haven't read 1 Peter's introduction in a while, go back and read that sometime this week. Just the, the ideas and the truths that he strings together in that are absolutely just some of the best writing in the New Testament. And as I said last week, I read this and I think, where did this guy come from? You know, when you follow Peter in the Gospels, he's kind of a bonehead, you know? He, he, he says the right thing one minute and the very next minute he's saying the wrong thing. I, just, I love Peter, you know? I love Peter is so much like us, you know? He's always doing the wrong thing for the right reasons most of the times. Uh, and then the Lord, you know, gets him turned around. But when I read this, the language in this is just unbelievable. And, you know, part of it is, if you think about where we are, and this is, I want to do just a little bit of introduction today. Peter's probably writing this letter somewhere in the early 60s, early to mid-60s. And this, as you know, is a very turbulent time in the first century, both for Christians and Jews and just the political climate in general. Um, in the, on the, if we start up in the upper level of the Roman realm, Nero is about to start some of his persecutions against the Christians uh, in the 60s. And Christianity is going to go through its first major persecution from the Roman authorities. So we've got that brewing. In the background, uh, the heat has been turned up between the Romans and the Jews in Israel. And within, just within years of Peter writing this letter, you're going to have the beginning of the Jewish war which ends in the Romans laying siege to Jerusalem, destroying the whole city and destroying the temple in A.D. 70, exactly the way Jesus had foretold some 40 years earlier. Right? So really, really turbulent time. And then on top of that, in the mid-60s, you're getting to the point where the first generations of, of Christians that were followers of the Lord Jesus, they're starting to die off or to be killed in the persecutions. Within a couple of years of Peter writing this letter, both he and Paul are going to be with the Lord. So, right, so th things are shifting and changing rapidly. Uh, Christians are going to be dispersed, you know, to the four corners along with the, the Jewish remnant. And so, really, really turbulent times. And uh, it seems to me, reading Peter and Paul's final letters, they're aware of that. And so they write in a way that reminds people of the most important things. Very similar in 2 Timothy. If you haven't read that in a while, that's, that's Paul's kind of last will and testament. <clears throat> Timothy, I don't have long. And if there's anything for you to remember, this is what I want you to remember. So really, really uh, powerful letter there. Peter doing, doing the same thing here. And you can actually see in chapter 1, let, let me read just a couple of verses there at the end of chapter 1, verse, starting in verse 12. Um, where, where Peter says, he says, Therefore, I intend to always remind you of these things, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. And I think it's right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus made clear to me. 
and I'll make every effort so that after my departure you may be able to recall at any time these things. Right? So you can see, Peter knows he's at the end. And, and I, I love the way he says it, verse 14, that the putting off of my body will be soon. Right? Well, one, of the, <laughs> one, of the, one of the big shifts, and this is really significant for this passage that we're reading, one of, one of the big shifts in thought that happened after the Enlightenment uh, and y'all know the Enlightenment in the you know mid 1700s, the explosion in industry and science that was that was a spiritual disaster for for humanity. Uh, it the, the Enlightenment just completely caved in on itself any views that humanity had about itself that elevated us to a higher position in the created order, right? We went from being people who were created in the image of God to animals that just happened to wind up here for no chance, no by chance, which is magic, right? Magic, we wound up here without any causation whatsoever, right? That all came out of the Enlightenment. And part of what happened in that is, is that we became physical people who have spirits and souls, right? In the scriptural worldview, we are spirits that just happen to have a body. The most important thing about you is your spiritual self, not your body. Your body is just the vehicle that your spirit moves. So I can lay off this body and I'm still me. That's what Peter's talking about. I'm just about to let my body go and I'm going to go to be with Jesus. right? And of course, in the resurrection, the resurrection redeems all that right? because our body is... Uh, brought back, redeemed uh, in the resurrection and, and reunited with our spirits. But, but very, very important because the things that Peter is going to talk about in this letter are all about what I would call soul care, spiritual care. How do we become the people that are effective not only in this life, but also in the kingdom to come? Because that's what the goal is, right? This life is just the training ground for what comes next. Right? Right? And, and, and it really bothers me. I, a lot of y'all that know me know I'm a, I love Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard opened up a whole new uh, vision for me about some of the most important things in Scripture about spiritual development. And one of the things that he emphasizes in all of his writings is how the church, and I'm talking about the church in general, right, in the West, has largely failed in our time to train people for the kingdom to come. And that's what Peter's talking about here. And, and, and notice what he said about it. I, I, I don't want you to miss this. Look at verse 8 with me, because I really want to, man, we're going to drive this home. Just beat it to death. We're going to kill it, and then we're just going to keep on beating on it. Uh, verse 8, he says, for if these things are yours, right? So these qualities, these, these virtues that he talked about, excellence, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, Love, right? If these are yours and they are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? When was the last time you saw a class, church, workshop, anywhere on how to be excellent? <laughs> how about this one? When was the last time you saw a church offer a class on how to have self-control? Boy, howdy. Now, as Americans, what do we need? 
right? Any, any time you get on any road in Memphis whatsoever, you are just inundated with exercises of unself-control, right? You know what I'm talking about? Lord have mercy. When my, when my youngest daughter started driving, any joy, any worldly joy that I had was completely stripped away from me, right? The thought of her on the road with all the other idiots who can't do any of these things that we're talking about here, right? It just completely evaporates. But we as the followers of Jesus, right? These are the things that Jesus is, is training us in and, and how to put these things on and how to live these things out. So Peter says, if, if these things are yours and they keep increasing, it will keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want you to circle that word knowledge or underline it or make a mental note about it because that's what we're going to focus on this morning. Just that one word, knowledge. Uh, so hold on to that. And, and I want to do just say a couple more things. Uh, if you turn over in 1 Peter, I want to show you this. Let me show you who Peter's writing to. And let's set some context. If you turn over to 1 Peter... Because um, in chapter 3, beginning in 2 Peter, he says, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you. And so 1 Peter is the uh, first letter. You know, I went to seminary, and they taught us great things like that in seminary, right? 2 Peter comes after 1 Peter, and when he says the second letter, right, that's, that's the kind of thing you learn in there. You know, it takes all the mystery out of it for everybody. It's, it's all the deeper secrets you get when you get an education like that. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, chapter 1, very, very similar to what we had in 2 Peter. But he just says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And then look at this, to those who are elect exiles, chosen exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, uh, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit for the obedience of Jesus Christ for the sprinkling with His blood. Man, great introduction. Just We could spend a couple of hours just talking about those last three phrases that Peter uses there. But the thing I want you to notice is who he's writing to. And he says that these are the elect exiles in the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, uh, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Now, y'all probably, does anybody know where those are? Probably not, you know, you think, but man, most of us barely know American geography, much less geography from the first century, right? I'm not outside of <laughs> no, you're right. Yeah. I, I, here was a, a similar people group, uh, but yeah. Um, this is all, if, if you have a map in the back of your Bible and you look at it, these are all regions up in the northern part of ancient Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey. Uh, if, if you can think about that, the little part of Turkey that juts out from uh, the, the main coast there, and then you got the Black Sea right above it. These are all in the northern part of Asia Minor, ancient Asia Minor. Now, the interesting thing about that is, um, down in the southern part of Asia Minor, that's where Paul did all of his missionary journey work. Down in um, Ephesus, and then out from there to the other churches and the other uh, uh, places that he planted churches either directly or indirectly. That's all in the southern part there. And um, I'm teaching Acts this year in our True Seekers Fellowship classes and doing study for that over this past summer. 
there is a there is a passage. Well, let, let me let me let me show you this because this is this will tie in. If you turn to Acts 16, I want to show you a weird little statement there. Acts 16 is when Timothy joins Paul and Silas on one of the missionary journeys, and Paul has been doing work um, in Asia Minor up up until this point. Uh, if you remember, the Lord sent him into those regions in his first missionary journey. And so now they're, they're headed out uh, to do more work. They're going to wind up going over into Macedonia, Greece. But in chapter 16, um, they, they start back in some of the areas that they had previously been to. But then in verse 6, Acts 16, 6. Um, no, wait a minute. Did I, am I telling you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Acts 16, 6. It just says this. It says, now they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. Now, right, Galatia was just mentioned in 1 Peter. Having been forbidden, now look at this. Having been, by, have, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. See that? Holy Spirit said, no, you, you can't go preach in Asia. Well, that's interesting. And then look at the next thing. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. See that? Um, so, passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. I used to read this and I think, why wouldn't he let them go into that area? Right? What, what's happening that he says, no, you can't go there? Well, look at the regions that Peter mentions. He mentions two of them in this Galatia, which is a big region, and also Bithynia as well. It's, it's, it's a larger region there. And uh, a couple of commentators have said, they speculate, I mean, you know, we're just having to kind of fill in between the lines, that probably the reason Pete, uh, Paul was not allowed to go there is that's where Peter was working. Uh, Galatians 2, Peter, Paul says that Peter was the apostle that was sent to do work among the circumcised, the Jewish believers. He was the one that was sent to the Gentiles. You remember that? And so more than likely... Peter is up in that area doing work at this time, doing his missionary travels. And we know that he was in that area because when Paul writes 1 Corinthians, he mentions the fact to the Corinthians about how y'all know Peter and how he brought his wife along with him when he was doing his work. So the Corinthians that, that are on the verge of that area, they knew about Peter. And this is one of the things that's fascinating to me because Acts does not give us any information whatsoever about the later ministry of Peter. Right? Once uh, Paul comes on the scene and the gospel is opened up to the Gentiles and you kind of get that focus, and Paul is going to, in a sense, pick up where, where Peter started with the opening of the door of the Gentiles, and then Paul is going to take the gospel into the southern part of Asia Minor, then across to Greece, and then even into Rome. And he's going to wind up in the Roman Empire. Uh, in the capital of the Roman Empire. Peter, too, is going to wind up there. Uh, as Peter writes, First Peter, he says that he's writing from Babylon, which is one of the old code words for Rome. Uh, so by the time you get to Peter's later ministry, as he writes back to these areas where he's apparently worked, he's doing so from Rome. And, and I say that to kind of highlight what we had talked about last week, that Peter is very aware of Paul's ministry. He talks about Paul's letters at the end of 2 Peter. Uh, and he's aware of what's going on. And, and I lay all that out to say that uh, this whole period is just such an interesting time. You know, you have Paul out preaching, spreading the gospel. You have Peter out doing his work. 
And now both of them are getting to the end of their life, the end of their ministries, and they write these letters. And they're like, y'all, we poured all this time into y'all. We don't want you to forget these things. These are the things that are most important for you to remember. right? And so Peter lays all that out here. Um, any, any questions or comments on that so far? I've been running and talking and going fast. Um, anybody, anything on that before we move on? All right, so let's, let, let's, let's talk about, in verse 8, I told you to circle that word knowledge. And that word shows up uh, a couple more times right here in chapter 1. And, and I think it's significant. Last week, we, we talked about uh, verse 1 where Peter says, to those who have obtained, or better, I think, who have received, or who have been allotted a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, um, there we talked about our faith is something that has been granted to us. The word that he uses there, and I'm not sure how your Bible has it translated, obtained or received or allotted, a faith of equal standing. There that is a word that means to receive something by lot. right? Something that is given to you, not by anything you did, but simply by the will of somebody else. And so the New Testament makes it clear that faith is something that's been granted to us by God. And in fact, that's going to tie into what he says a little bit later about God has granted to us his precious and very great promises. We're going to talk about that uh, next week. But we started out there talking about our faith that's been given to us. The, The first part of this is all about what God has granted to us, what God has given to us. And the second part is about what do we do with that. So we're, we're going to come back to that. Uh, by the way, just an offhand note, there where Peter says, by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Does, is that the way your translation reads? Okay. That's one of the clearest um, statements of the divinity of Jesus in the whole New Testament. Peter calls Him our God and Savior Jesus Christ. All the time I'm talking to people and they'll say, well, you know, the New Testament never claims directly that Jesus is God. And I'm like, well, there's one problem with that. You've never read the New Testament. (laughs) Jesus makes that claim. Paul makes that claim. Peter makes that claim. The book of Revelation proves that claim, right? Uh, So if you haven't seen that, apparently you're not reading the same New Testament that I am. I can't believe how many... um, People who are experts in the Bible that have never actually read it, you know? And that's especially true of liberal theologians, but that's a whole other thing in and of itself. Uh, so here, P- Peter makes a, a very powerful claim our God and Savior Jesus Christ. And then he says this May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now, something that you cannot see in the English text here because it's, it's, it's hard to communicate some of the nuances that are going on here. But that word that's knowledge there in verse 2 is different from the word knowledge that's used down in verse 6. If you look down in verse 6 in that list of virtues that he's going to give us, add to your faith excellence and to your excellence knowledge. It's at the end of verse 5 and it's at the beginning of verse 6. And to knowledge with self-control. Now, the word in, at the end of verse 5 and the beginning of verse 6, that's just the word knowledge, like having facts and information about something, right? Knowing stuff about something or about somebody. But the word that he uses in verse 2 is a little bit different. It's just got a little 
a prefix added to the beginning. The, the, the word knowledge in verses 5 and 6 is just the word gnosis that you've probably seen spelled out before in Greek. This, in uh, verse, three there, uh, verse 2 there, the one that he uses, is epignosis. Right? It's, uh, and again, it's very, there's a huge debate over how we should translate that word. What does it actually mean? Right? How, what does it mean in this context? It shows up in other places in the New Testament. Uh, not, not a whole lot. But let, let me just go ahead and give you my spiel, and then we'll, we'll talk about some other occurrences of it. Because it shows up, I think, four or five times here in Second uh, Peter. And I, I think the word here, if I, if I could translate it this way, it would be this. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the deep personal knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? This is not knowledge about somebody. This is knowledge of somebody. Right, and and the the closest example I could have for you about this is somebody that you or one of your family members, or if you're a wife or a husband, right, you have a deep personal knowledge of your wife or husband, and in a lot of cases, a deep personal knowledge to the extent that nobody else has, right? I have a relationship with my wife that she has with nobody else on planet Earth. There's a deep personal knowledge there between us that transcends just knowing stuff about her, right? And this is really important for men. Right? No, no, bear with me a minute. Right? Men have to have a personal knowledge of their wife, especially. Right? But, and, and let, me, let me preface this, because I'm about to get in big trouble. So let me go ahead and preface it. With stuff, right? Men are basically boneheaded cavemen, right? There's nothing going on in here most of the time that's of any significance whatsoever. And usually the things that are going on in there are fairly discernible, right? And, and, we, and we speak in syllables. Uh, we, you know, very rarely have feelings or anything like that. Now, a husband have to, has to be able to take the surface level communication and get to what's really going on behind the scenes, right? If you're going to be effective. And there you've got to have a deep personal knowledge of that person, right? Because what I found out in my many years of marriage is, what my wife says is not nearly as important as the way she says it. Right? Right? Amen, brother? Right? Oh, boy. And, you know, she say something nice, and I'm realizing, oh, Lord, I'm in trouble. I've done something wrong, right? you got to be able to be that. That's, that's what we're talking about here. This is this deep personal knowledge. This is not just knowing facts and information about somebody. This is knowing somebody. Right? This is knowing who this person is down to their core. You, you, you've been invited in to know exactly who this person is. Right? And that's what, he's, that's what he's talking about there. Verse 2, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the deep personal knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Right? Deep personal knowledge. We just don't know facts and information about God and Jesus. We know them deeply. Do you follow what I'm saying? Because we live with them day by day. We know how they think. We know how they work. We know what's going on. We're attuned to what's happening. Right? One of the illustrations that I give on this is, is and I'll just very short. I went to Bible college for three years. I went to seminary for four years. And about two years after getting out of seminary, I had this epiphany while I was studying to teach a Bible class 
that I knew a lot about Jesus, but I didn't necessarily know Jesus. Right? There, there's something about having a deeper personal knowledge of Him that communicates something that, that transcends just words and ideas and things and stuff about Him, right? And I hope this is connecting with you because that's what Peter's trying to communicate with us, right? That he wants the grace and peace to be multiplied in this deep personal knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Look at what he goes on to say because he, he uses the word again in verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the deep personal knowledge of Him who called us to, or possibly by, His own glory and excellence. Right? So we have everything that we need. Now, now look at, don't, don't pass by that yet. Verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the deep personal knowledge of Him who called us. Knowing Jesus on a personal, deep level gives us everything we need for both life and godliness. How to live life in a way that pleases God. That's what godliness is. right? And we get that through what? This deep personal knowledge that we have of Jesus. You follow what he's saying there? Now, let me say this. If you read a commentary, they'll go into this thing. Well, Peter uses that word, but he doesn't mean anything different from just the basic form of the word. I just always hate that kind of stuff when I read this because we live in a culture where words and language are not important. In the first century, words and language are vitally important. Again, what you say is very important to what is being said. And I just have a hard time thinking that Peter's just like, well, I'll just pick this word and then throw the other word in and whatever. If they use different words, there's a reason. And we need to discern what that reason is. That's, that's true of all the Bible. Right? And so I think Peter is making a subtle distinction here. Right? And, and this point is this. You can learn a lot of stuff. And that's going to be important. You can learn facts and information. But that's still not the same as having this deep personal knowledge of Jesus. Knowing who He is and the way he thinks, and the way he acts. Now, let me just show you something in that. Because this is just so plainly obvious. I have read, I don't know, eight commentaries on 2 Peter, eight eight or ten, something like that, over the course of time that I've been studying and whatnot. And I don't think I've seen one commentator make this connection. Not one. So that may mean I'm wrong, right? So don't don't get me wrong here. Uh, But when you look at verse 5, when then Peter goes on to talk about everything that's been granted to us, in verse 5, this list he gives us, he says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with excellence, and your excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. Now, if I were to ask you, hmm, who could we look at as a great example for those seven things? Somebody that always worked and lived and did what he said with excellence in everything. Who is somebody we could think of that, if you think of a knowledgeable person, that if you wanted to know something about something, they could give you that knowledge. If you wanted to think about somebody that exercised self-control perfectly, always in control, right? Hmm, who, who, who could we look to? 
Somebody that's godless, right? <laughs> that's just Jesus. The example I've got there, that's Jesus. So if you have a deep personal knowledge of Jesus, you know that that's who he is. This is the way he does things. And, and I said, not the way he did things. This is the way he does things. Even now in 2023, y'all know Jesus is alive and well. We have deep personal knowledge of him. I, you know, and, and again, there, there's, there's a part of this that I could talk about from my own experience, but it's going to be very different from y'all. Right, having walked with the Lord now for the years that I have, since my late teen years, I've developed a, a, a relationship with Jesus where I feel His presence in everything that I do. You know, even to the most mundane, ridiculous things. Uh, a lot of you know I do a lot of woodwork and carpentry and build guitars and whatnot. And what that means is I'm in this never-ending frustration of stupid things that I do. And as I'm, as I'm working in the shop, I have what I call the, the uh, instrument maker's prayer. And it goes something like this. Lord Jesus, I know you are busy running the whole universe. you got big things on your mind, right? What's happening in America, you, you, you can't even believe it yourself. I know you got major things happening, right? You're holding the known universe together by the power of your word. But I have just messed up big time and I need help. And you yourself, being a carpenter, you know what's going on. So please give me the help. It is unbelievable how the Lord has answered that prayer. On such a ridiculous thing. Is Jesus really concerned about me in the wood shop messing up some wood? Yes! Because Jesus loves me. And He Himself loves those types of things. He wants to be present with us whatever we're doing. And, and guess what happens when, you have this, when we have this deep personal knowledge of Jesus because He's alive and well and keeping company with us 24-7, we grow in that deep knowledge just the way I grow in that deep personal knowledge with my wife or with my daughters or with my mom or with my dad, right? And again, it's just, my, I, I, I'll tell you, this is, this is one of the crazy, we were painting our house. <laughs> painting a house one year and I had this this thing that you could suck paint up into you know it's like a power roller thing and suck it up and it makes the painting go like 10 times as fast if you know what you're doing uh, if you don't which I didn't for several times you make a big old mess or whatever but anyway I was pulling that thing out to get ready to knock out some painting and I was realized I was missing one part a little o-ring that if you didn't have that the whole thing wouldn't work and I'm like oh Lord Jesus, help me here. I, I, don't, I just don't want to have to go and do it the normal way. And again, Lord, I know you're busy, but help me figure out what I need to do here. And the minute I prayed that, I, in my mind, I just saw our water heater in the place where I'd taken this whole box out. I saw our water heater and the little pan that's in your water heater, you know, that catches the overflow if something goes wrong. I saw that and I saw a little O-ring laying right in it. And I thought, if I go out there, if I walk out, to our shed, and that O-ring is in that pan. I'm going to lose my mind right here, right? I go out there, look in the pan, there it is, right in the thing. And I'm like, thank you, Lord, right? I, I, again, is Jesus really present with us in that way? Yes, right? Yes. And so there I'm just talking about ridiculous things, right? Because if he's with us in the ridiculous, he's definitely going to be with us in the really important things in the really significant things, right? And so this whole thing starts with this deep personal knowledge that we have of Jesus, 
right? That's, that's where Peter begins. I know y'all know him, and I know that you just don't know things about him, but I know that you know him. And again, th- if, if you read through the book of Acts and you see how the Lord is present with the apostles and the common people, right? And how he's showing up. When they're gathered together in Antioch, what happens? The Spirit shows up and Jesus tells them, set apart for me Saul and Barnabas, right? The whole church is tuned into that, right? What we just read in Acts 16, the Spirit of the Lord Jesus would not allow them to go up in there. Paul, no, you don't go there, right? And, and, and let me just say that that type of, of relationship doesn't come about unless you're willing to be pursuing that relationship, to be open to that, right? That Jesus is with us and we know Him. We don't just know about Him. We know Him, right? In the ridiculous things and then the really significant things. And it's, and it's based in that knowledge then that Peter says, right, verse 3, first of all, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in your deep personal knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. How do we, get, how do we experience that grace and peace? Through our deep relationship with the Lord Jesus, right? One of the, another again, another thing that gets cultivated the more time you spend with Jesus, you come to understand that no matter what happens to you, it's going to be okay. That's the peace that we're talking about here. I can have peace in this life for anything that happens because I know that what's coming is going to transcend all that. He's made, as Peter says, his, says here, precious and most magnificent promises. That he has called me to himself, and he's going to make sure that I make it into his kingdom. Now, if you know that, what else do you have to really worry about? Right? And then grace. We're going to talk about the grace word in just a minute, because, or not, not a minute, next week following. Because grace is not only uh, God's favor, it's also his empowerment. And the way we get that is through this deep personal knowledge of Jesus. Look, uh, just, just a couple of other, I just want to show you where this word shows up. So you have the word there in verse 2. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the deep personal knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Then verse 3. Um, His divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the deep personal knowledge of Him who called us. Right? The word for knowledge down in, at the end of verse 5 and verse 6 is just the general word for knowledge. We'll, we'll probably start talking about that next week. Then it shows up in verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful. Now now look at that. That's the important thing. Ineffective and unfruitful in the deep personal knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now I'm going to say this is, well, I'm glad I'm right at time because I'm going to say something that's going to get me in trouble. If you claim to know Jesus and live in a way that's different from what we have in this list here, if you're not a person that's pursuing the, the qualities, the character qualities, the spiritual qualities of Jesus, it's the same as if you didn't know Him at all. And that's what Peter says here. right? If, you, if we practice these things, excellence, knowledge, self-control, all this, right? Um, if we practice these things, it makes us effective and fruitful in our personal knowledge of Jesus. Effective and fruitful. And that's, that's what He wants us to be. I mean, you can't hardly open up a book in the New Testament where it's very clear that Jesus, beginning in the Gospels, wants His disciples to be certain kinds of people. And, and I, you, you could go there and you could find examples of all of these things, right? 
excellence, knowledge, right? All, all, the whole list there. When you get into the letter, same thing, there's this expectation that if somebody claims to trust Jesus, they're in a process of becoming more like Him. Paul just sums it up with a simple word, Christ-likeness. We are being conformed to His image day by day, becoming more like Jesus, right? And so there are things that we do to pursue that. That's, that's, all, that's all Peter's saying here. So there you have that deep knowledge. Uh, let, let me show you just a... Um, I won't turn to all of these, but uh, this word shows up in a couple of couple of other places in other letters. Uh, in Romans one twenty eight, y'all know that passage. That's about you know the downfall into sinfulness, right? Those who reject the true knowledge of God, and this word shows up in um, people who reject the truth. They didn't choose to acknowledge God or glorify God, right? They don't have a personal knowledge of God, and they don't profess that openly is the idea a really powerful one is in Romans 3:20 where Paul says through the law comes the knowledge of sin through the law comes the knowledge of sin and there he's not talking about just getting a definition for sin right when we try to keep the law we find out experientially what sin is because as y'all know the argument of Paul when you try to live under the law it awakens the sin that dwells within you, so all you can produce is sinful acts. And the whole history of Israel proves that from day one to the present day, right? That you can't attain godliness through keeping law. That's Paul's whole argument. You need something else. You need the Holy Spirit and to be free from the law. It's absolutely critical, right? And so Paul says here that we come to have the knowledge of sin. That's, the, that's right, the deep personal knowledge of it. Now, that's one we can all do without, but it's awfully helpful, right? Um, and then, uh, finally, this is, the, uh, th- th- this is the last one, and I'll have you turn here in Ephesians 4, because Paul, again, this is very similar to the point that Peter's making. Paul just uses different language. By the way, one, one of the most fascinating things to me, thinking about all this, is how you know, Peter influenced Paul. Paul influenced Peter. I'm just fascinated about how John influenced them, you know, because it's very clear that there's overlap in their writings. And it's just always, I've just always wondered, wow, how much, you know, because Peter, like we said last week, Peter has read Paul's letters, some at least part of Paul's letters, because he says in those letters there are some things that are difficult to understand. So he's, he's, he's aware of that. So how much did Paul influence uh, Peter's writing? I have, a, I have a feeling it was fairly significant. But if you look in uh, Ephesians 4, um, uh, Paul is, is talking about the uh, work that Jesus is doing in the church and how he's equipped us. In fact, this is, this is kind of a parallel passage, but with a different point. And I just, I just want to pick up in verse 11, uh, Ephesians 4.11, because here Paul talks about the gifts that Jesus has given to the church to actually accomplish the goals, the purposes that he has for us. So verse 11, it says, Now he, Jesus, gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as shepherds and some as teachers, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Now look at this. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, that is, to mature manhood, mature personhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. There's your word. 
until we all attain to the oneness of the faith and of the deep personal knowledge of the Son of God. And the way Paul defines that is until we become like Christ. That's the goal. Until we're like Him. Right? Here Paul tells us about the people that the church is given to. Uh, that Jesus is given to the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Those are the people that equip us to accomplish those very goals. Until we become one in the faith and until we look like Jesus in our personal knowledge of Him. Peter gives us the things that we do. Right? Seven things that we can add to our faith that help us accomplish that goal. Excellence. Knowledge. Self-control. Steadfastness. Godliness. Brotherly affection. Love. Right? If these are yours, they will make you ineffective. Uh, 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 they will keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in that deep knowledge of God that you have. Now, to me, this is why this is one of the most significant passages in the New Testament, right? Because in the modern church, I don't know how many sermons I've listened to in, my, in the last 20 years, but one of the things that I often find left out is an encouragement to become people that look like Jesus. And that's fundamental. That's the whole goal. Right? For us both personally, right, individually, and as a group. That's what Jesus is trying to work in us, right? To be like him. Uh, one of the one of the, the greatest things I've ever had happen to me, I was working with a guy years ago. And uh, we, we in fact we were doing our milk to meat study that we have at True Seekers, and toward the end, the guy came in with he said, Man, he said, we just talked about something last week that I've never heard in my life. And it's literally, I've lost sleep and it's changed everything, right? And he said, it's just the simple thing you said last week. That once we believe in Jesus, there's this expectation that Father God has that we grow in Jesus. Grow to become, become mature. You know? And Tom Murray, who started Truth Seekers, he, he used to say, listen, life is not about killing time until time kills you, Right? It's about spending every minute we have to learn more about Jesus and become more like Him. Right? That's, that's, the, that's the end result that we're looking for. And this is what Peter is focusing on. This is what he's drawing us back into. And that next week, we'll, we'll keep on with that and uh, start to look at that list. And I want to look at those words and kind of start to define those words in terms of you know, the context that Peter's in and so forth. All right, y'all, I'll turn it over to Gil. Wait, there's Gil. Okay, 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 I'll go ahead and close it. <coughs> Excuse me. Father, we, we thank you for all the ways that you bless us and provide for us. And Lord, we have all the prayer requests that um, come up week by week that are on the board, that go out in the email. Uh, a lot of concerns. Lord, you know what those concerns are, even before we mention them. Uh, even as Jesus taught us uh, to pray simply, because our Father knows what we need before we even ask. And being a good Father, He's going to give us exactly what we need. And we know that You do that, Lord. Uh, and even as we've talked about today, Lord, I, I pray that You would continue to give us all a sense of Your presence with us. You keep company with us 24-7. You've given us Your Holy Spirit to dwell within us, to guide us, to empower us, to make the Word come alive for us. Uh, to teach us the things that only You can teach. Uh, even as, as You taught us, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would take Your things and then communicate those to us. And Lord, we know that we couldn't even call You Lord without the Holy Spirit 
uh, enabling us to do so. So we thank you for all the gifts that you've given to us, calling us to yourself, uh, providing everything that we need for life and godliness through the deep personal knowledge that we have of you. And Lord, I pray for each and every one of us that we would grow in that and have a, a better sense of that and a better appreciation of it. Because Lord, we are living, you know, we're living in crazy mixed up times. It is uh, just a difficult time to be in. And one of the things that I hear people saying all the time is, I just feel so untethered and unanchored. Who can you trust? How can you even figure out what's going on? And we know the answer. We know that because we know you. And as Paul said, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. And so, Father, we thank you that we have access to this great treasure trove through our personal knowledge of you. And I pray that in the days ahead, we um, would uh, do as Peter says and make every effort to add these qualities, these virtues to our own walk. Because in practicing these things, we come to know Jesus more dif- uh, deeply by living in the same way that he lived. So I pray that you'd bless us with these things and encourage us and build us up and uh, just constantly remind us of the hope that we have in you, uh, a hope that, that uh, is, as Peter says in his first letter, it's imperishable, undefiled, reserved in heaven for us, those of us who are looking forward to the completion of our salvation. And so we give you all praise and all thanks for all these things. For Jesus' great name's sake, amen.